In September 2018, Ashley Johnson Barr decided to go to the park near her home in Kotzebue, Alaska. She never returned home that day, and her body would be discovered eight days later. She was only 10 years old. This is a story of Ashley Johnson Barr. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. And we are back. But guys, I have to be honest, I am unusually tired today. There's so much to do, and I just want to take a nap. Shiashi, you say that every time we record early. Do you really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that maybe you're just not a morning person. Oh my gosh. I didn't even realize I was doing that. But I am tired. I am watching my niece this weekend and I've got all the kids here and I had to put them in different rooms so I could record this morning. So I am pretty tired already. That sounds about right. Well, I can't be the only one that's tired today. Uh, Maggie, how are you feeling? You were gone all day at a football game, right? I am so tired, but Tennessee beat Alabama. Two of my friends that I went with, we screamed so much last night that none of us had voices. So if I sound a little weird today, that's why. I was afraid I was going to be like that after the Boys to Men concert. But thankfully, we didn't end up recording that next day because I could not speak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think what did it was they asked the crowd to sing Mariah Carey's part in One Sweet Day. And uh, I said, "Okay." I crushed those vocal runs. (laughs) (laughs) my friend who went was screaming so loud like you know how some people can just like scream and it sounds good and it's just like loud and they have like football voices i don't i can scream for like a little bit and then my voice cracks so then you're just standing there yeah so i'm just clapping okay so before we get in today's story ash is there anything you need to add well, first, I want to give a shout out to my cross country team. Uh, we ran our conference oh, championship right. yesterday and they won. Our girls got second place. We had a couple of um, cross country runners of the year for their conference. So we just had a really good year. We're excited. We got regionals in two weeks. And so we are preparing for that. We finished up the fair last week. I think it went better than expected. I was a little bit like, Oh, it's going to be at the casino. It's going to be spread out. But I think it went good. I agree. I think overall, it went pretty well. Stickball games were fun, as always. Stickball is probably the best part of the fair week. Yeah. I like going to watch. Yeah, and we, like, the women played this year for the first time in, like, 15 years. I hope they open that up to more people next year, because I think more people would play if they made people more aware of it. Yeah, it was just kind of like a low-key thing. Um, not that it was a secret, because we invited people and anybody could come play. Wow, I can't believe it. it's been that long. Yeah, we just haven't played in 15 years, and we wanted to play again. So we got out there, and it's I love it. I love playing stickball. Like, I don't know, when I was watching football yesterday, I was like, I don't see how they can tackle with all those pads on. <laughs> like, it just looks like they get in the way. But, I mean, I know that's how football's played. But, yeah, it's just fun. I feel like I would be really good at stickball. Now, I'm not fast, but I can lay on somebody and hold them down. (laughs) If that's my only role, I'll do it. (laughs) Just catch them and lay on them, yeah. Hold them down. Yeah, it was fun. Hopefully the fair will be a little more closer together next year. 
But for what it was, I think they did a pretty good job of trying to make it work and make the best out of the situation until the new fairgrounds is done. Yeah. All right. Are you guys ready? Let's do this. Have you guys watched the new show, Alaskan Daily, with Hilary Swank? Yes, I watched it um, after you had told me about it. And I watched it in preparation for today's case. I really liked it. There was a lot of it that I thought highlighted some of the issues we see today in cases. But I have my criticisms, too. So Yeah, so it stars Hilary Swank, who I'm patiently waiting to make her appearance on Cobra Kai. Because like growing up, that's the Karate Kid that I knew. She was the next Karate Kid. I didn't really watch yeah. the Karate Kid because they were like made before like my time and so i'm just waiting for her to make her oh, that's no excuse <laughs> that's no excuse i've never watched the karate kid now i watched the one with uh, Jaden smith but i haven't watched the originals did you watch the show maggie i did i watched the first episode i haven't watched the second yet um i thought it was good i thought it was a good portrayal of kind of probably the struggles that real news stations may face in regards to getting information from people like I thought it was cool how they try to portray the relationship between like a small town news station and a small town police force, which I think is relevant in a lot of our cases um, and a lot of native communities. You know, people don't really want to talk. So I'll be interested to see kind of how they keep portraying the story. But my only gripe about it is they didn't use this opportunity to highlight an actual MMIW case. I wonder if they will later on. Like, I wonder if they plan to do that. Because I know that it's a fictional, they're fictional stories, but I hope that they look into doing that, you know? I have a feeling they'll probably just do like what a lot of other people do when they highlight stories like this is at the end, they'll just be like, you know, talk about the MMIW movement and kind of what it is, but not really highlight specific cases. Yeah, but at least it's bringing awareness to the issue. I feel like the end of the episode would be the best time to highlight actual cases. And just so, so they utilize that opportunity to get those names out there. I mean, I think that if you, I think you could do a show like this, like a fictional show per se, but do it based loosely off of cases that are still unsolved. Like I feel like this is a missed opportunity because they could have multiple seasons of this and just have, you know. Oh, it's like Law and Order. Yeah. And they could probably even cover like all the cases in Alaska because there has to be a lot. There's a lot. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to keep watching it and see how it plays out. Hopefully, it, I mean, I like it so far. So. We'll see that if they move in a positive manner. Yeah. So today I'm going to share with you a story and it's terribly heartbreaking. Like it was hard to hear and it was hard to research. It may be difficult to share, but um, we have to share these stories because they are the real world. And we must be reminded of how cruel people can be in this world. Just like we talked about in Alaskan Daily, we're going to go to Alaska. And believe it or not, Alaska has the most missing persons of all the states in America, native and non-native. Uh, there are 229 federally recognized Alaskan native villages, and most Alaskan native communities are organized into villages. Alaskan's indigenous people make up 19% of the state's population, but are 47% of the reported rape victims. Whoa, that's a staggering number. 56% of Alaska native women will have experienced some type of physical or sexual abuse in their lifetime. And we know that Alaska is just a huge state and a lot of it's uncharted and it covers 586, 400,000 square miles and a population of around 731,545 people. So let's talk about Ashley Johnson Barr. 
a fifth grader who loved basketball and church and attended Bible study groups probably five times a week. This story happened back in 2018, so just four short years ago. Ten-year-old Ashley Barr went to the Rainbow Park in the Inopia town of Kotzebue in Alaska to play with her friends. Ashley did not return home. Her parents became worried and they tried to call her off her cell phone with no answer. I mean, and that's every parent's fear. You know, I think we've only really covered one case that dealt with a child. And I think it goes to Maggie's point that she's always reiterating is that so often when we think of MMIW, we think of adult women when really there is no age limit to the atrocities that can happen to these women and girls. I did a mini on Aaliyah Gatton Wells, who was also a 10-year-old. So, you know, yeah, like Shashi said, Unfortunately, these statistics cover people, any indigenous woman from less than one years old to what was the age? 83. Yeah. And I'm sorry to interrupt that, Ash. I just wanted to kind of repulse that point when it comes to MMIW or MMIWG and what all that encompasses. So yeah, her parents are, you know, she never came home. Her parents became worried. They called and called and called with no answer. So as you can imagine, the fear they were having. The last time Ashley was seen at the park was around 5.30 p.m. that evening. And this was not like Ashley to not answer her phone and to not return home. And like, again, like we always say, we know our kids. We know our family members. They called and called because they knew something was wrong. Finally, someone answered, but it wasn't Ashley. And they told her parents, whoever answered the phone, told the parents that they found the phone in a jacket pocket belonging to a man in the family. The parents were frantic and told the The person on the phone, their daughter is missing, and her phone was handed over to the police immediately. And so we know that Ashley's missing now. And so the search begins. The jacket that the phone was found in belonged to Peter Vance Wilson, who was 41. When police questioned him, they learned he had just been on a week-long bender, but was also accounted for for two hours that same afternoon that Ashley went missing. And so I have a timeline that I'm going to go over of that day and the specifics. And this is all according to a federal affidavit. Um, On September 6th at 5.20 p.m., a woman who will go by the initials JJ, JJ told law enforcement she and Peter Wilson were at JJ's mother's house about a mile from Rainbow Park that day. Wilson was there and he was asked by JJ and her mother to pick up JJ's child and another child, not Ashley, but two other children. He then left the house on a four-wheeler. At 5.30 p.m. that day, Ashley was last seen at Rainbow Park, and she did have her cell phone on her. At 7.20, Wilson returns to JJ's mother's house with no children. JJ was upset he had been gone for so long and that he didn't bring back the kids that he was supposed to pick up. Later that night, JJ and Wilson were at JJ's house, where Wilson sometimes stayed. JJ heard his cell phone ringing repeatedly and followed the sound to find a cell phone with Ashley's name on it in Wilson's jacket. JJ immediately answered the phone and Ashley's mom told JJ Ashley was missing. JJ also stated Wilson was acting unusually quiet and that he passed out soon after arriving at her residence. A woman who identified herself as Wilson's cousin told the news Wilson had passed out while in possession of the phone. Ashley's father went to JJ's to get the phone, which was later turned over to the police. Wilson told the father that he found the phone near the Nana building near the intersection of 2nd and 3rd Avenue at 10.30 p.m. that night. So he's saying he found the phone. Ashley was at the park. She was last seen around 5.30. And during some time during this evening, he was out. And at 10.30 that night, he found the phone laying in the street. So was Ashley at the park by herself? As far as I know, she was, but it wasn't far from her home. Now, she may have been there with other friends, 
but it didn't state that her parents were there with her. On September 7th, early in the morning, Wilson went to the police station to let them know that he heard they were looking for someone named Chelsea or Kelsey and that he had found a phone near the Nana building. He claimed he found it on the ground and never noticed her name on the lock screen, Ashley's name. Nor did he hear it ringing over and over when what? Ashley's parents were calling it. Yeah, because they were calling it immediately after she didn't come home. September 10th, the FBI became involved in the investigation at the request of the police department and Alaska State Troopers. On September 13th, Wilson was interviewed by the FBI. He denied using a four-wheeler on September 6th and denied knowing Ashley. Ashley's parents had previously stated that Ashley and Wilson were relatives and they knew each other. He even been to their house multiple times. Mm. So now they're starting to catch him in lies because J.J., also stated he left on a four-wheeler to pick up her kid and another kid. So why was he picking up the kids, though? I'm confused. Yeah, it doesn't make sense why they would send him to do that. I, I don't understand. I guess he was just somebody they trusted with their kids, I guess. But didn't it say that he was also on a bender during this time? Oh, that's right. Why would, yeah, why would you send someone on a four-wheeler who's drunk or belligerent to go pick up kids? Don't know. <laughs> Can't answer that. Okay. While investigators were investigating Wilson, they did notice he was covered in scrapes, bruises, and cuts. September 14th, investigators initiate a search of an area that GCI records showed her cell phone had traveled to. About two miles east of downtown Kotzebue, the records showed that at 8 p.m., the cell phone was back in town on the day she went missing. 4.15 p.m., eight days later. Ashley's body was found a quarter mile off the road in an area of tundra only accessible by four-wheeler or on foot. She was found dead in an area concealed by thick alder and willow brush and a depression in the ground. The location was about a 45-minute walk from where Ashley was last seen. Ashley was half-dressed and had been sexually assaulted, and the medical examiner determined the cause of death as asphyxia due to obstruction of her airway and constriction of her neck. The police arrested Wilson and charged him with kidnapping, sexually abusing, and killing Ashley. Police linked him to the crime through DNA evidence, witness interviews, and surveillance footage. At the Devil's Lake Water Reservoir, a surveillance camera caught footage of a man and a girl on a four-wheeler at 6.06 p.m. the same day she went missing. The girl was wearing a pink sweatshirt, just like the Nike pink sweatshirt Ashley was wearing when she disappeared. When the police questioned Wilson, he denied any involvement in Ashley's death, of course. But when they put everything in his face and showed him the evidence they had against him, he confessed. He pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and first-degree sexual abuse of a minor. Four other charges he pled guilty to were, number one, targeting a vulnerable victim, two, deliberate cruelty towards the victim, three, the most serious conduct with a class of offense, and four, similar prior conduct involving one or more other victims. Did he not get charged with kidnapping? It doesn't say. So after Wilson was arrested, and this is what's shocking to me. After he was arrested, family members came forward to state that he had a history of raping young girls. What? Apparently, he raped and sexually abused some of his own family members. Well, this is his family. This little girl knew him. That was, you know, a distant family. Yeah. He'd even been to their house. Yeah. It doesn't say what their relationship was, but they knew of each other. Yeah. So if this man had a history, why would you trust him to be around your kids, let alone go pick up your kids when he's already on a bender? This is a disgusting, vile man. 
So last year in September 2021, Wilson was arrested to serve 99 years behind bars. Judge Traverso was handing down the 99-year sentence and stated that the crimes Wilson committed were grave and cannot be dismissed. He described how Wilson, who was related to Ashley, lured her away on an all-terrain vehicle to an isolated spot on the tundra before he gave a graphic account of how she was sexually assaulted and murdered. Family members spoke, such as Mona Norton, who was Ashley's aunt, and she stated, and I quote, you didn't have to kill her, end quote, in a passionate speech about domestic violence and sexual abuse in Alaska. You took her away from me. You took her away from her mother, said Scotty Barr, Ashley's father. Barr also spoke to the epidemic of sexual abuse and how it needed to end in Alaska, as to the high rates of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. I guess what I'm stuck on is that after he was convicted or when he was arrested, the family just came out saying, yeah, we know this is what he does. He's done this before. But I wonder if the victims hadn't told anyone. I wonder if it was like, you know, after this came out and he was convicted of that, that people came forward to say, you know, this happened to me. Because, you know, a lot of times we talk about this all the time. A lot of times in Native communities, people aren't willing to talk about the trauma that happens. So I wonder if people like knowingly knew he was a predator or if like more stuff came out after he got arrested. Yeah. And it didn't specify either way. It just said that once he was finally convicted, um, they came forward and said that he raped other girls in his little girls in his family. This is a disgusting man. I guess maybe it was the way it was worded. I guess that that I got stuck on. But you're right, Maggie, because if he was convicted or arrested and then the family came out saying, yeah, this has happened in our family, then it could be one of those cases where the victims feel safe enough to come forward. You're absolutely right. I, I jumped the gun on that one. Well, part of his guilty plea, the fourth offense, was similar prior conduct involving one or more other victims. So maybe they did know. To me, that to me that would mean probably that they added charges based off of people like coming forward. So like the charges were already against him. Maybe when they were investigating him, like more stuff came out. Yeah, could be. But you know, that's just we're all we're just speculating. You know, I I I don't know. Yeah, it just said that apparently he raped and sexually abused members of his own family when the family came forward to state that he had a history of it. But you know, that's a true predator is someone who is in his family with the people he is committing these crimes against. And, you know, luring these small children away, probably saying things like, oh, I'm going to take you to your cousin's house or, oh, my, your mom sent me to pick you up. And the girl knew this man. So she, you know, didn't think anything of it. Yeah. You know, think about our kids. Like, Shashi, if, you know, you showed up to my kid's school and was like, your mom told me to pick you up, my kids would be confused, but they would go with you, you know? Like, they wouldn't be like, no, I'm not going with her. They'd be like, okay, but they would be confused about it. You know, same scenario. Yeah, and she probably felt like it was okay because he had been to her house before. And not that any of this is her fault. This is all him. But it just shows how much of a predator he is, you know, to use that relationship. The abuse, yes. A memorial service was held statewide before the Alaska legislator passed a bill to commemorate Ashley Johnson Barr on her birthday. And may this beautiful girl rest in peace and her family find some kind of comfort as hard as it is to go on without her. My heart breaks from having to like share this story, researching it. It was just hard. It was really hard because I have a 10-year-old and I couldn't imagine anything like this happening to him. Uh, but the MMIW epidemic in Alaska 
if you think about it, faces, you know, we know that they face the same issues of abuse and murder of women and children. But because of the terrain, it makes solving these cases even more difficult. Um, Ashley's case was solved. You know, they were able to find her eight days later and were able to convict the guy. But not not all stories are solved that quickly. Uh, when someone goes missing in Alaska, search areas can be as large as the entire state in the lower 48 and considerably more treacherous. Alaska encompasses 39 mountain ranges, 12,000 rivers, and 100,000 glaciers, and 3 million lakes and mudflats that can be like quicksand. Ice and snow can erase a person's lost traces, landslides, avalanches, fishing glaciers, overflowing rivers, and collapsing riverbanks all make travel unpredictable. And so when these women go missing, it makes finding them even harder. Alaska operates on a two-tier justice system in which large cities, mostly non-white, have their own police departments. And other villages, mostly native, are dependent on state police who are often a plane ride away. Despite the reports of rampant domestic abuse and violence against women in many of these villages, most places or without police receive no funding because they are considered too small or too remote to employ local police. And that's scary. 80% of Alaska is not accessible by a road system. I have a statement from Tribal Council President Joel Jackson of the Kake. He stated, if we shoot a moose or shoot a deer or any other wildlife, there'll be a whole group of wildlife troopers who show up within hours. They'll come on planes. They have helicopters and boats. If someone gets killed, we have to wait. In Kake, Alaska, a 13-year-old native Tinglet girl had been beaten to death and left on the back entry of a church. She laid there for 11 hours after villagers called the Alaska State Troopers for help. The community with no law enforcement oh officers, yeah, the community with no law enforcement officers, gathered her body in crime scene that night while they waited. The closest state troopers were in Juna, 114 miles away. As heartbreaking as this story is, and how hard it is to hear about the family, they did have closure, and Wilson was put behind bars for the rest of his life. But some of these stories are not solved so easily, like I stated. And I'll leave it with this, and it was a statement by Lisa Frank. She stated, my mom always tells me to wear two pairs of jeans at night to slow him down. We appreciate people that continue to listen to these stories because we know how hard they are firsthand. Because, you know, when we listen to them, we go through the same emotions and they're tragic and they're heartbreaking and it's not a feel-good story. So to listen to these stories is really hard, but it's necessary. Yeah, and it, it just breaks my heart that this, this little girl went to the park to play and she was supposed to come home and she didn't because Wilson went to the park to pick up two other kids didn't see I don't know why I don't know why he didn't pick up those other kids or where the other kids went and picked her up instead and just like that in that moment he changed so many lives well what's sad is you know even if it wasn't Ashley it probably would have been someone else it's really unfortunate that you know it happened to be her but I think that it would have been someone regardless which is terrible and Osh you know like we said you know it's there's never a good ending to these but you know given the statistics in Alaska of how many people are still missing and bodies aren't found the family got her body back you know they were able to bring it home and to give her a burial and justice was served I mean it's very tragic that it even happened but at least the family can have that sort of, you know, that comfort of having her body with them and knowing where it's at. So many families don't get that. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. 
For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.